Welcome to a new conversation on the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. Planning for retirement is a little bit like when you were in high school and you had to take the SATs. There's two parts. There's the math, which is all the spreadsheets, the calculators, and working perhaps with an advisor. And then there's the verbal section, and that's really the storytelling. You're writing a new story of your next chapters. And for that part, there's one thing that people often fail to bring to their retirement planning, imagination. I've noticed that people can struggle with this after decades of a career where perhaps your imagination has been muted. But there's good news. You can actually rekindle your imagination and write the kind of story that you've been always hoping for, for your retirement. It just takes a little practice and some exercises. My guest today is Jeannie Lambin. I met Jeannie years ago when I was being trained along with her and, and 40 other coaches from 11 different countries in the Designing Your Life process created by Dave Evans and Bob Burnett. She helps people imagine, create, and live better stories. And she's been obsessed with time, memory, and imagination for as long as she can remember. And looking at her background, her first job was an archaeologist. She's moved on from that, but still has a desire to help people unearth stories, to explore, to discover, and to help others to do the same. We'll talk today about how you can bring imagination to your planning and what you might be able to do in 11 minutes. Jeannie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's begin with improvisation. How did you get involved with improv? Yeah, so I got involved with improv. I grew up in Chicago and improv, it's, it's kind of just part of the world here. And so when I was a kid, we would take school field trips to Second City and things like that. And I just was absolutely enchanted by it. And then in high school, I auditioned for a play and I didn't get cast in the play. And I was, I was devastated in the way that you really can be when you're a teenager, where the whole world feels like it's falling in. And I decided that I was going to persevere. And so I decided that now was the time for me to take improv classes. And this was in the day where it wasn't so easy. You know, you just go online, you find out what's available, and then you go forth. So I got out the phone book and the yellow pages, and I started, and I don't even know how I found the improv theaters that were there. And some of the listeners might not remember such uh, devices as yellow pages, but I found the theater. So I found Second City, and then I found a place called Improv Olympic. And so I started calling. And when I called Second City, they said that I would have to take classes with teens, which is a very reasonable thing to want people to do. But I was also a teenager and I spent enough time with teenagers. And the last thing I wanted to do was spend more time with teenagers. And so I thought, well, that's not for me. And then I called another place called Improv Olympic, which is now called IO. And I spoke to a woman, uh, Sharna, who ran the theater at the time. And she was very accommodating and encouraging. And she said, you know what, just come on down, see how you like it and see how it works for you. And we'll see where to go from there. So I went and what I discovered is that I was absolutely terrible at improvisation. And I thought I was discovering a way to be funny. And what I really discovered, especially after going through the whole process and then being away from it for years was that it was really a way to li live. And it was really a series and a set of life skills that 
I really incorporated into my life, my life choices, my work, how I engage with others. And then I became really interested in kind of how to help others engage with those tools. So you mentioned it being a way to live. How can it be helpful in life? So how can it be helpful in life? So a lot of people think about improv and they think about it in terms of comedy. And that is absolutely true. And that's one of the applications of it. But it's also about spontaneity. And that spontaneity can be manifested in doing fun things and spur of the moment. And it can also be, it can also appear in ways that a situation isn't what you expected. A situation isn't what you had hoped. And how do you respond in the moment to those things that might be absolutely welcome and then other times when they're not? And so how do you yes and that? And many people have heard about this idea of yes and. And it's a really valuable way to approach the world because it's not that everything is great and you accept every invitation that comes your way, but it's that life is full of unplanned things. Life is full of things, some wanted, some not. Life is full of surprises, some welcome, some not. But there's a level of acceptance that you have to have just to exist from day to day. And so saying yes to this is the situation I'm in and the and is what's possible in this situation. So what are the constraints that I have to apply to this situation? Then how can I thrive in that? Does that make sense? Requires mindfulness. Yeah. Yes, absolutely mindfulness. So one time in the design of your life coaches quarterly sessions learning learning events, you took us through a tool called the story spine and it really got my attention. Share with us a little bit about the story spine and how it works. I love the story spine and I'm so glad that you brought it up. The story spine is a tool that was developed in 1991 by an improviser by the name of Ken Adams. And Ken was working with school kids and he wanted a way for them to create stories in a quick and structured way. And so, because sometimes when you tell someone, tell me a story, they forget this innate capacity that we have to tell a story. And so the story spine was just a series, a little framework on which to build your story. And it just goes like this, that you begin your story once upon a time. So what is the state of the world? Where are you welcoming people in? And you're introducing people to the world of the story. And then the next line that you use is every day. So what happens? What are the regularly occurring things? So it might be once upon a time we were, uh, Joe started a podcast and every day that he was recording, he invited a new guest to have a conversation with. And then the next line in the story spine is, but one day. So all of a sudden something changes. But one day Joe decided to do a walking version of the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> which this and also this is might not be the best example or practical, but I'm improvising. I'm just rolling with it. And because of that, so with that, because of that and that transition, what are some things that happened or changed or transformed as a result from that new way of doing things? So, you know, you might discover that you there are new things in the neighborhood. You might discover that this is a good way to engage with people. You might discover that it's completely and wildly impractical to try and do a podcast while walking down the street. But these are all things that you discover as a result of that change. And then the next line is the climax. And this is the until finally. Until finally, Joe discovered that the best thing was to do to go back to doing the way the podcast that 
he was doing and because it was working and because guests felt comfortable and they could have an engaging conversation that brought insights to others. And then ever since then, so now what is the state of the world now that you are, that all these things have happened? And as I shared with you before we started recording, we have an internal plumbing flooding issue unfolding in our house as we were talking. So there's still a possibility that this might turn into midstream, my first <laughs> walking, <laughs> but we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. But thanks for sharing that. It's a very, very useful, useful tool. So I read an interesting piece you wrote about reimagining to-do lists to possibility lists. How have you used that? Tell us a little bit about how that works. Yeah. So one thing that I sometimes do rather than making a to-do list is I make a list of things that are possible. And this can be anything from a practical thing of go for a walk to wildly impractical. Buy a train ticket, buy a plane ticket, fly somewhere remote. And the story spine is actually a great way to combine these two things. So the reason why I make a possible list is that it's very easy to forget both in a in a rather mundane way, what's possible, like all the choices that we have available to us, even though sometimes it might not feel like we have choices. And then also those wild things that we might not ever get, but kind of help that aspirational heart or that possible heart stay alive. So I would absolutely love to buy a a plane ticket and fly somewhere wild or different or new and leave tomorrow. And sure, I could do that, but is that the most reasonable or practical things to do. I don't know, but playing with what you can do, what choices are available in that moment helps us kind of expand into the choices that we're making and make them more choices that we're making rather than choices that are imposed on us. And I also say that cautiously in that there are those choices through life circumstance, through work circumstance that can be less welcome. And that can be an especially good time to make a possible list because there might be so few things that you have a choice about in that time. If you're engaged in a family member being sick, the care for a parent or a child, if you're dealing with an illness, if you're dealing with a job that feels soul crushing, there's all these things where all those choices can feel diminished. So making that list of possibility is a way to keep that spirit alive. And then coupling that with the story spine. So you take something from your possible list and then you go through once upon a time and every day, but one day. And because of that, and because of that, and because of that, until finally, and ever since then. And you can write a little story about what would happen if this possibility became an actuality. This is a short message from Future You. Yes, the 2024 version of Future You sometime next year. Looking back and thinking about what kind of year you're creating for yourself, and it all starts with what habits you're building. A wise man once said, you are what you repeatedly do. So what will you repeatedly do next year? Take a look at our habit building course that starts on January 5th, three Fridays in January, one hour Zoom to build the habits in a small group to get you off to a great start in 2024. You'll find the link in the show notes for details on the program and how to register. Very interesting. And as you wrote, it really takes a to-do list and makes it a future future list. Yeah. Spins it into the, which is very, very exciting. 
So you've also written some very interesting pieces on Medium about time. And I'm curious, what are some things that can be accomplished in just 11 minutes? It's amazing how much and how little can be accomplished in just 11 minutes. But a couple more interesting things that I've accomplished in 11 minutes is I've made an entire painting of an owl. So I did about a a three foot, actually, yeah, about a two foot by three foot painting of an owl. I was on an owl kick for a while. I have sent emails that I have been putting off sending for years and finally just decided that this is the time that I'm going to do it. I have worked on writing chapters of a book that I'm working on. I've done, I've just decided that I want to send nice messages to a few friends and just say, Hey, I'm super happy that you're in my life. I appreciate you. I have also done absolutely nothing where I have taken 11 minutes and just decided that I am not doing anything. And it's wonderful and it's horrible. And it's also, I found when I have a list that feels overwhelming and the things that I need to do, that taking that 11 minutes just to pause and just to say, I can stop this, maybe not forever because that's not practical, but I can just take a pause and I cannot fill it with action. And it's then working against that tendency that some of us have just to fill available time. Great points. So how does your program 11 Minutes to Mars work? 11 Minutes to Mars, the idea for that was hatched while I was watching the landing of the Mars Perseverance rover. And it was a live stream by NASA. And the commenter from NASA was just kind of filling the airtime. And what she said is that we were going to wait for a while because it would take 11 minutes for the radio signal or the signal to travel between the Earth and Mars to find out if the rover had landed and made it to the surface. And I just, I absolutely could not believe this fact. Like, it's so fathomably unfathomable that at one hand that we can see 11 minutes later something that happened on the surface of another planet that's millions of miles away. And so it got me thinking, if it's possible for the signal to travel between the Earth and Mars in 11 minutes, then what else is possible? And so what I did is I got a group of people together And the charge was quite simple is you say what it is that you're going to do, you do it, and then you reflect on that experience of doing. Because a lot of times there's things that we have to do, but we might not think about how we want to feel or why it is that we're doing this thing. And by simply reflecting on how our experience of time unfolded, it gives us a lot of insights about what our experience of time is and how we can make it more aligned with what we want to be. So the idea with 11 Minutes to Mars is that it brings together our attention and our intention so that we can align our time and spend it on things that matter. And the way this works in the practical and tactical sense is I bring a group of people together once a day, every day for 11 days. And at the beginning, and it's a virtual experience, so at the beginning, there's a short check-in of here's an idea about time. Here's a way to play with time. And then here's our sprint. So you say what it is you're going to do, you do it and you reflect on that experience. It's a small group. So it's also like a small group coaching where you hear what other people are doing and what other insights occur. And then after 11 days, you're done, you get your certificate, you have the method. And then you also, there's also retreats and other things once you're part of the Mars community that you can be a part of. 
Wow, that's impressive. Appreciate hearing about it. Now, so far, you're the only person I know who has become a death doula. So tell us more about that. I would say, in in all transparency, I'm more of a, a death doula in training. And so in 2019, I had the experience of being present of a longtime friend of the family was in the process of transitioning to whatever's next. And I went to go say goodbye to her. And she had been brought back home. So she was in hospice care at home. And I was sitting there with her and her daughters. And it was just one, I felt incredibly fortunate to be there for her, to be able to say goodbye and to express how much she had meant to me and how cared for I felt because of her. And then also just to be there for that moment in another person's life. And shortly after I left, she passed that night and her daughters jokingly, but lovingly referred to me as the angel of death. And, and through that and a couple other experiences, what I realized is one, how important it is to have to the extent possible a ritual, a presence, a structure around that transition. And also something that I've cared about for a long time is that this is this one thing. Dying is the one thing that we are all going to do without exception. None of us, to sound a bit cliched, get out of this alive. And here's this one thing that we, most of us will not know the time. We might have some warnings. We might have an illness where we're contemplating it. but there aren't a lot of good structures and supports for talking about it and figuring out what you want that to the extent possible to look like. And so I did a a process through Inelda and which is the end of life. uh, And I'm screwing up their acronym, but it's Inelda and they've been training people to be doulas for some time. And then there's a course program and then you're supposed to go on to do hospice work. What I discovered, so, and this all happened at the end of 2019 and then 2020 brought a pause to that process for me. And also during that time, I discovered that I have a autoimmune condition, which means I'm more vulnerable to getting sick. And I had to make the decision as to whether or not to continue with the hospice training. And what I decided is that I would be too busy thinking about my own health and worrying about that rather than being present for the person and their family and their chosen family and their loved ones. And so what I'm now shifting my attention to is one, helping people to have those conversations. So what do you want your end to look like? What sort of rituals are meaningful to you? And then also, uh, there's a course that I will be starting in hopefully in fall, but it might not be till next year, but it's We Are All Dying. So it'll be a six-week course, a virtual course that will help people talk through that process of there's an end coming. What do you want that end to be like? But also equally importantly, what do you want your life to look like? Because I think as you said on a, a previous podcast is that your future self is the only one that never gets a day off. So as we're imagining what that end, what is the life that we want to have leading up to that? And how can we be intentional and bring our attention to that which we often struggle to speak of? And 
that and essentially is where I am at the doula process. And one note on that too is that there's the big transition that we make at the end of our lives, but then there's also all those little deaths that we experience. They're the death of a loved one. There's the death of a dream that we might have held on to for a long time. With retirement, there's a lot of loss and a lot of grief and a lot of letting go. Sometimes it's joyous and some people go careening into the next chapter. And even sometimes if that is a very welcome thing, it can still be disorienting to have all these systems and all these structures and all these things that were the day-to-day, all of a sudden that shifts wildly. So in that doula process, I think it's also useful to think about how can we assist ourselves? How can we provide help for what's that next transition? Appreciate it taking us through that. And it's such a great point about the little deaths that we experience along the way and your point about retirement, because I've seen in the work I do in that space that sometimes people can get fixated on either the losses or the gains yeah. and it blinds us to the other side. Well, it's always a mix, mix. It's always a balance. And you've got to focus on both sides of, of it. But I think people can get caught up in the, 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 the freedom part of it, the fun part of it, the flexibility part of it, and not see some of the challenges or losses, hits identity, et cetera. Yeah. And conversely, uh, people can get just caught up in the, the loss side and not see the possibilities going forward. So you have such a diverse background and things that you're involved in, training you've done. What's the one thing you're most excited about that you're working on now? The one thing that I'm most excited about that I'm working on now is what I see happening is, so some people, my initial background was in anthropology and archaeology, and then I went on to historic preservation, and then I started a business, a consulting company helping people to access the improvisational mindset and then use storytelling as a way to make sense of the world. And what's really kind of coalescing with that right now is this focus on time and what I'm calling timefulness, which brings together storytelling, the improvisational mindset, and then mindfulness practices and techniques because time is the only thing that we can never get more of. In fact, we can only spend it. So if we have to spend it, how can we spend it in a way that is aligned and meaningful and and to really help people figure out how to do that in very practical and tactical terms so that people have the opportunity to shape their time to the extent possible in a way that is meaningful and important to them. Wow, that's a great concept. Jeannie, thanks so much for taking time to talk with us today and make us smarter about all these topics that we covered. I was delighted to be here and it's always nice to see you. And I hope that the the situation that the story spine doesn't have a dramatic point regarding the plumbing. I'm sure, I'm sure it's gonna end end well, but we'll, well, we made it through, so that's good then. But I, I will follow away that walking podcast idea. Great, thank you. <laughs> nice to talk to you. Same here. So a few things to think about and take action on from this conversation with Jeannie Lambid today. Number one, what will your story be in retirement? It's a good time to put down the spreadsheets and shift your attention to thinking about the story you're going to write for your next chapters. And remember, you can bring imagination to it, but you might want to take some practice. In fact, you'll see a recommendation that I say Bursal, one of our previous guests, a designer, had earlier this year, which is to do some warm-up before you do some creative thinking. 
You'll find a link to that conversation in the show notes. But think about some of Jeannie's tools like the story spine. How do you warm up? How do you practice your imagination so that you craft the story you're dreaming of? Number two, don't stop with your to-do list. Create a what's possible list. I really love this idea, and I'd suggest the next time you look at your to-do list today, take a few minutes and start to jot down some ideas about what would be on your what's possible list. And maybe this weekend or another day soon, just take out a blank sheet of paper and write a what's possible list for the new year ahead. You'll be glad you did. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. My mission is to help you retire smarter by designing the new life that you want to create in your next chapters ahead. You can take a look at all of our episodes across six seasons at our website, retirementwisdom.com. A lot of great guests and interesting topics. Thanks again for listening.